Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Ball and Chain Podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, coming to you from beautiful, sunny West Hollywood, California. I think this is the second or third episode we are doing from Southern California, uh, previously up in San Francisco, where I was based for 19 years. I'm uh, I'm a little bit running on fumes. Uh, startup life uh, can get to you sometimes, and running on about two and a half hours of sleep right now. Uh, so I will. Uh, I got my coffee though. Got my water. Uh, I will do my best to bring the energy uh, here today. Uh, but uh, super excited. Uh, we have an awesome guest. Um, before we get to him, um, would love to just kind of uh, give some updates since our last uh, podcast episode. I think it was about a month ago. Uh, so first thing we are, we're going to be trying to get these going more frequently, one per week. We know that frequency matters. We know that you love to listen to this, uh, our loyal listeners out there and, and want more frequency, more sports and sports betting content. Uh, so we are going to be, uh, in the new year, upping our game to once a week, which is, uh, which is great. <clears throat> On the Zen Sports side of things, we've made some announcements recently. We are now, uh, have, we now have licensed applications on file sports betting license applications on file in Nevada, Tennessee, and Virginia. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by Zen Sports, uh, so that's why we're giving our Zen Sports plug here. Uh, so we are hopeful to be uh, licensed in at least two or three states uh, over the next uh, three to five months, uh, which is super, super exciting. And uh, uh, of course, we've got lots of other great product updates, which you can go to the zensports.com website to check out. Um, in the sports world, uh, we are now on week, I believe it is 14 of the NFL season. The playoff picture starting to take shape. Uh, my Packers are doing their thing. I am very hopeful they are going to overtake the Saints for the number one seed and get that lone buy uh, that is now part of the playoff uh, structure. No more two team buys in each conference. Just one team gets the buy. And I think I'm most intrigued by the Browns uh, because I just, you know, they've always been so dysfunctional. And uh, the fact that um, NBC flexed out of uh, the Niners-Cowboys game to into the uh, Giants-Browns game coming up, uh, I think that is, I think that's very 2020. Uh, that's what I'll have to say there. <laughs> so uh, so we got some good stuff going on there. The NBA season's uh, set to kick off in a couple of weeks, which is great. Hopefully, my, hopefully Giannis signs that Supermax deal. Uh, I don't know what's going on there. It's kind of deflecting things off. It's been a very interesting offseason for the Bucks, but I think uh, I think it's exciting that the N- NBA is starting soon and that they're getting a 72-game season in, uh, which actually is what I think the season should be. I think the, the season should be 70 to 72, 70 to 72 games in the first place. So uh, hopefully this is an experiment, but uh, a, a sign of actually things to come because the regular season is, is kind of ridiculous that it goes as long as it does. Uh, NHL is starting after the new year. Of course, we got all the other sports going on, like golf and tennis, uh, NCAA basketball, uh, NCAA football's got some COVID issues. I mean, they need to, in my opinion, get their act together on how they're doing everything. Uh, the NFL, I think, has been really the poster child for how to manage everything appropriately, which has been awesome to see. And uh, uh, I just I love the fact that they're squeezing the games in when they have to. And most of the games, I mean, to be honest, are going off without a hitch. So uh, things, are, things are good. Um, so, uh, with all that being said, um, I would like to welcome our next guest to the Ball and Chain podcast, which is da- who is David Behrman. Uh, he's the deputy editor of sports betting at ESPN, and uh, really excited to have you on the program today, David. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Hey, 
Good, Mark. Uh, happy to have you. Uh, sounded like you had a whole bunch of good updates, and I, I hope you're right uh, about the NBA season being shorter than it normally is, and I'm looking forward to the NFL playoffs as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I, you know, it's interesting because I my take is in general, real quickly in the NBA, is that um, I think the season for sure could be 70, 72 games. Um, they could probably cut out uh, I like the two games against the other conference, one home, one away, but I think they could cut out one extra game within the conference. Um, I think it's kind of irrelevant anyways. And I think it would get rid of a lot of the quote-unquote load management um, that they've got going on. And I also saw that they're trying to look to possibly find teams if they sit uh, their star players during uh, primetime games. Um, that's something that they're talking about possibly doing, which I'm, I'm fully supportive of. Uh, you know, I mean, if if... if if we're going to have players sit, then why not just have fewer games in the first place, you know, to some degree. So I, I'm hoping they kind of figure that out because it is kind of lame to turn on a Thursday night TNT game and Giannis and LeBron are both sitting, right? Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts are on, on like the, the NBA regular season and maybe how COVID might actually change it for the better in terms of the structure moving forward? I do think they had every intention of, of somewhat slowly getting to this point of shortening it. You had mentioned load management. And I remember being at a MIT Sloan conference in Boston last March, actually a week before the Rudy Gobert stuff had happened. Um, we actually went places and went to conferences <laughs> and, and met up with people. And um, they, they talked about it right then and there. The, you know, the, the, um, the rocket GM, Daryl Morley was up there and he had said that, he was hoping that, that they would shorten it because of load management issues and that they would like to start the season later and finish it over the summer, which ironically is kind of what happened and what will be happening with the new schedule. I think COVID overall has changed the dynamic for a lot of the leagues, NHL, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and how they're going to look down the road of minimizing travel and back-to-backs, load management, Lots of cross-country stuff, and you see what the NHL is proposing with an all-Canadian division, which, in theory, other than the politics of crossing country lines, doesn't make much sense geography-wise, because it's not like Montreal to Edmonton is a short flight. Um, but I think overall, COVID in general is going to change the way certain athletic directors, conference commissioners, and league commissioners look at load management, schedule, travel, etc. And the NBA has been the quickest to adapt. They were the ones that were put on the spot when everything happened last March. And they were the first ones to come up with the bubble and, and, and actually successfully get the, the season done. So I think you're right that this will change things moving forward. And I'm 100% with you that I think 70 to 75 games is better than 82. And you let the players rest a little more and have a better product. Quite honestly, you don't want to turn on ESPN or TNT and see them not playing. And I know that a couple of years ago, San Antonio got known for doing that. And that's just a bad look. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's really interesting you say that because you know even if you step outside the sports world for a second, one of the big themes from COVID is that it has just basically, in general, not even just sports related, but in general, accelerated trends in our lives by you know five, seven, ten years, whatever it might be, right? And I think if you look at sports, it has absolutely done that. I mean, uh, Major League Baseball. Well, I know they're bringing back the DH. Excuse me, bringing back the pitcher hitting uh, in the National League this year. I mean, certainly. The, the, you know, the last season where, you know, the DH was in both leagues. I mean, there was no problem with it. And, you know, the players are pushing for that. That's going to happen. Um, you know, some of the other, uh, you know, changes with regards to, 
you know, relief pitchers having to face uh, three batters to speed up game times. Um, obviously, the NBA, we just talked about with the load management issue. Um, I think all the sports, well, except for the NFL, really doesn't need to do it because they only travel once a week. But all the sports where there's, you know, routinely games every day or every other day. I mean, there is no reason for a team to be in Miami one day and in Phoenix the next. I mean, that's just it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, I mean, there's, it doesn't, it is, the product, as you mentioned, is just not as good when you do that. And I, you know, that goes into kind of the next thing that I'd love to get your take on is I, and this goes into the whole, you know, sports betting concept is that I just think in general, the NBA has been so far ahead of, um, especially baseball in the NHL, but, but even a little bit to some degree, the NFL in, in how it has managed technology uh, trends. Uh, so, you know, again, with, with COVID and the bubble, um, and of course, sports betting, I mean, it was, you know, Adam Silver, the one that penned the, uh, New York times op-ed, uh, you know, a few years ago about why, you know, sports betting should be legalized. Um, and this is of course a, you know, completely taboo subject in sports, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, the NBA being kind of a forerunner in uh, pushing like all these technology trends and also of course specifically in sports betting because you know you obviously have a you know deep sports betting background would love to get your take on on what your thoughts are in the nba and adam silver even in particular with regards to that i mean you hit it on the head his op-ed in the new york uh papers back in 2015 is really what opened the door for everything else and all the media companies like you know espn and others were were watching that and, and seeing that one of their league partners was was saying that in the future Sports betting could be something that could absolutely enhance the game, um, enhance the viewing experience, and monetize the leagues, the teams, the media companies, etc. And he was well out ahead of it, but was the first prominent either league commissioner or politician or media member to come out and say this is something that could be the future. And you know, within the next three years, they overturned PASPA. Everybody started getting in. You're legal in 29 states now. So it starts there with the NBA. He was the first one to do that. And it has continued. You know, I know a lot of people that work on Adam's team that we've been in touch with uh, in terms of what we can do for sports betting. And they were the first ones to allow us to use, you know, their own league IPs and team names and be okay with actually talking about gambling on Sports Center or NBA shows, NBA Countdown, and have it be a product of the game. And I know Adam and his team have gone even further to talk about potentially having in-game experiences, whether to be, you know, betting kiosks nearby or betting on in-game stuff and having right now they have free-to-play games, which is the first step. Free-to-play games are always the first step towards sports betting in terms of the, the legalization of it. And I think that, you know, the NBA has been at the forefront of a lot of the technology that's been driving sports betting and other parts of, of the, um, the viewing experience. And you got to give him credit for seeing that out front. And, you know, I, I think my lucky stars every day that he did pen that op-ed because it really, really opened the gate towards people saying, oh, wow, this is something that even though, ironically, they were part of a lawsuit to try to stop Paso from being overturned, as all four professional leagues were, they also understood that that could only go so far. And obviously, there's monetizing it and getting your slice of the pie and what everybody wants. But in the end, it did start right there with Adam Silver in the NBA. Right. And if we think back to just taking a major step back here to the history of sports betting in the United States, you know, clearly, I think one of the big, you know, kind of roadblocks to it was the Wire Act, uh, which came about, I believe, in the 50s, maybe it was the 60s. Um, and, and, and really, the Wire Act came about because all sports betting up to that point was very, you know, mob related and, you know, organized crime related. Um, and so the notion was, is that anything sports related had to be 
thus tied to some kind of, you know, crime ring or something like that. Whereas the reality is, is that outside the United States, you know, they've had legalized sports betting for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and better late than never here. But, you know, we're just finally starting to get our, our beaks wet with regards to, uh, you know, legalized sports betting here. You know, I, I think um, one of the things that I, I guess, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but maybe the other part of this was too, is that before player salaries got to where they are, you know, I'd say over the last 20, 25 years, maybe the thought was in the 60s and 70s and 80s that players, you know, were they're making nice money, but not like, you know, uh, uh, FU money, right? And, you know, maybe the thought was, well, the players could be gotten to, right? Whereas mm-hmm. now, there's no way any player's going to risk their salary or their future or anything else, you know, for $20,000. I mean, why would anybody do that? Um, so do you think maybe players' salaries have kind of also played a role in some of this where, you know, there's true, true trust that everything happening is legitimate. There's no chance for any funny business. So there's a fair game for everybody involved. So why not have this extra engagement tool um, and, and entertainment tool, you know, for fans and customers? Well, I think that definitely was part of it. And, and we actually talked about that before PASPA overturned it when people were saying, oh, this won't be good. This won't be good. Once they overturn it and there's legalized betting, all hell's going to break loose and the players are on the take. And, and I did the right. math and I explained right. to people, I go, even the lowest paid kicker in the NFL is making enough money that people don't really understand. You can't go to a sports book and put down $5 million on a game. That's just not how right. it works. Even though people see the glamour and the glitz of casinos and sports betting, like you're only betting at the, the, the most, unless you are somebody that they really know, really trust, have done an entire background check on. They're not giving you a line of credit of more than five figures, which is like a game check to some of these players. So that obviously was something that I'm sure as the salaries got higher was less of a concern to the leads. But I just think you talk about the history of it and the Wire Act and everything that went into what we do in this country. We overall, even though we're in the greatest country in the world, we're also only 250 years old and we are far behind every other, you know, the other countries and a lot of things that are legal over in Europe that aren't legal here. It just takes time to adapt and we may be, you know, the freest country and we have as much, many liberties as we have. But with that, people still have, hey, there was prohibition for drinking forever in this country way back in the early part of last century. And that took a while for that to happen that people laugh at it now. But women couldn't vote and you couldn't drink and all that stuff took time to get to and, and should have it taken to 2018 for legalized betting? Of course not. Um, and we're still not where Europe is, where they can literally bet on anything in-game, pre-game and everything else. Um, right. But we are slowly getting there. And I think over time, the amount of money that could be monetized with sports betting for states, leagues, teams, etc., eventually was going to overweigh the concerns about players being on the take and the mob mentality and all of that. And, right. you know, there is that. We've done shows about it. and you, You've watched plenty of, of, of Vegas stories when it comes to gambling and everything else that goes on with money laundering and everything. But the thing was, you got to convince the leagues that, one, they could profit off of it, and, two, that if they do it the right way like people have done it in Europe, you can actually oversee it where you have more control over whether there's nefarious stuff going on because you're actually spending that money to oversee it as opposed to, all right, gambling's illegal, everything's done on the black market, nobody knows anything, you can't control it. So I think little by little, 
we are learning and understanding. And the thing to me, and I always laughed at this, and I'm currently in a state that doesn't offer legalized betting, but I can go to a gas station and then go inside and the guy in front of me is buying 17 $20 lottery tickets, <laughs> scratching right. them off and then getting behind me in line to do it all over again. And I'm like, how is that allowed? But yeah. I can't go put that same $20 on the Dolphins to win a game this week. Like, what's the difference? <laughs> there, nobody right. is actually paying attention to how much you're spending on lottery tickets. No one is actually overseeing if you just took your paycheck to the gas station, bought a 12-pack and 20 lottery tickets, but they're not going to allow me to go make a sports bet. So there's the little bit of an acceptance that just needs to come with, with something that, you know, the alcohol is now allowed at 18 or up and, and people have, you know, rules and regulations around that. And we can do the same thing with gambling. Well, and I would even take that a step further and, and kind of relate that to daily fantasy sports. I mean, I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, sports betting is skill based as well. Uh, if you look at it. Mm -hmm. So why the heck is creating a lineup for, with a salary cap uh, and putting money on that and going up against other people with the lineup that they've created? How is that any uh, less of betting or gambling or wagering than putting money on a parlay? I mean, it just, I don't, I don't get, there's, they're actually, in my opinion, there is no difference. It's really just politics, right? It's just bureaucracy it, and stuff like that. It's completely politics and bureaucracy because some states decided at one point they could monetize daily fantasy, and then other states are like, well, now we can do it for sports betting. And it's funny you bring that up. I go back to a conference I went to about two years ago, which used to be the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. They changed it to Fantasy Sports and Gambling Association, so they invited me. And Matthew Berry, a very good friend of mine and colleague, had been going to that conference for years, and all of a sudden, me and my betting cronies show up, and we're there. And we were at one of the events and, and, and talking about it, and I flat out said there is no difference between daily fantasy and sports betting. And we had a back and forth that everybody was allowed to watch, which was great. I wish we had it on tape, but you just made the exact same point that I made. And I told Matthew, you know, don't give me the one is game of skill and one is game of luck and all that blah, blah, blah. No, you are paying money to put your lineup in just like you are if you're betting on a prop. You think that Pat Mahomes is going to get over 302 yards and you're putting that in your daily fantasy lineup, well, I'm going to bet on him to get over 302 yards for the same reason you are, and it's the exact same thing. So it's just taken a while for us to get to that point, but um, right. but we are. We're, we're blending it together, and I work hand-in-hand -hand with my counterparts in the fantasy department to talk about player props every single day that people are wagering on. Right, and I think the thing is, is that um, if you look at uh, traditional casino games, uh, like craps or blackjack or whatever it might be, there is a truly built-in mathematical, statistical house advantage on those games that you, no matter, unless, of course, in blackjack or counting, um, you cannot overcome just by playing the regular way. Whereas in any kind of sports betting, if you are skilled enough, and then we see it just in the fact that casinos ban sharps, <laughs> it is skill-based. Now, obviously, not everyone wants to be skill-based, and some people are there just for the entertainment, and the fun fact, most people are just there for the entertainment and fun and uh, whatnot. But the, the fact that you can do your research and your homework and probably even run statistical analysis, we've had a few people in the pod that, you know, are very sophisticated in some of their models of how they set this up. How can you possibly tell me that that is not skill-based? <laughs> it is skill-based, and, and we've done the math, and you see every single month when the casino commissions give out how much money that they have profited or brought in, there's a reason why craps and blackjack and slot machines, it's, it's like 
thirty to one over what the casinos bring in on sports betting because you're right, you there is a skill component to it, and that's another avenue of what is legal and what is not. Like, okay, I can go to a casino and throw the dice and pay basically to put new light bulbs up at the casino, but they won't let me go to the counter and bet on sports. And it's just like, really? Like, because I have a better chance to win on sports, but that's not what it is. It's just, it hasn't been regulated yet. So given the fact that, uh, you know, sports betting has, you know, really accelerated uh, in terms of legalization here in the U.S., like over the last two and a half years since basketball was struck down, what are your thoughts on the rest of the states getting legalized and or possibly legalizing it at the federal level? Do you hear any kind of rumblings in the background as to what that looks like? Um, I mean, it looks like it's just moving super fast from an outsider's perspective, but I'd love to kind of get your take on, on what that looks like, you know, maybe from a different, from a media type perspective. Sure. Now, I do think you're going to continue to see more states come on. I think actually uh, COVID and the pandemic has actually had a, I don't ever want to use pandemic and positive in the same light, but the states need money. <laughs> and right. one way to generate money is by bringing in sports betting. And the more states that are looking at the red when it comes to the pandemic and the, the businesses not being around, the more chances that they will look to say, OK, well, what, what way are we going to bring money in? And this is one that's served up on the table as 20 plus states have already done. Um, as far as media wise. You know, right now we're getting more and more into what we're doing. We're developing more tools. We have a, a daily wagers show at ESPN that's on six days a week. Uh, we have the chalk website and we're, we're trying to get more tools and more content into that and expand our empire. We've now had, uh, deals with, with Caesars, William Hill and DraftKings when it comes to link out deals. Um, I think moving forward, you might see additional stuff such as in-game wagering become more popular in America, where Europe has had that for many, many years, and it's just slowly getting here. You and I talked earlier about props and daily fantasy. I think that that crossover will be even more impactful down the line as people look for more innovative ways to get the game experience. As you see, people aren't going to games anymore because stadiums aren't allowed to have people, so more people are at home trying to be engaged from home. And I think fantasy, gambling, player props, in-game wagering are all things that will help the viewer experience. And then, of course, I'm a big proponent of BetCast. And I, I've seen it little here, little there in terms of having a second screen digital experience. You know, maybe hypothetically speaking, your NBA doubleheader, your baseball night or your Monday night football game is on your screen. But on your tablet device, you can go on E+. Or any of the other streaming devices and maybe possibly have a bet cast experience. You see what we do with the mega cast and the college football national championship game. Having another channel that might be dedicated to betting is one way I think that you can enhance the user experience and, and one thing that sports betting will do moving forward in the industry. Yeah, I think that's, I, I mean, you know, when you come back to like the monetization piece for the leagues, I mean, it really comes back to engagement, right? I mean, it's just yet another way to engage fans. And when you think about, for example, like in-game betting, as you're mentioning, you know, if you've got a, a game that's a total blowout by halftime uh, or by the third inning or something like that, I mean, only the diehards of each team are going to probably keep watching. Whereas if you have in-game betting, I mean, then everyone has an incentive to watch, you know, the whole way through. So, I mean, I just, it seems like that, you know, is just an absolute no-brainer. And then when you throw in the telecast part, um, you know, maybe basically having dual broadcasts, right? So for a Sunday night football game, you know, you've got Al and Chris, um, you know, and doing their normal thing, but then you've got a separate set of broadcasters that are, uh, you know, ca uh, you know, uh, announcing the game from a, 
from a betting perspective or uh, com- combined daily fantasy plus betting perspective. I think there's so many possibilities. And you're right. I think also the the fact that states are, are facing budget shortfalls, um, you know, left and right due to COVID. I mean, they, they need every additional monetization opportunity they can have, right? And so, yes, and that's um, where that's where sports betting comes in there. And and you talk about the second broadcast that we that we both agree on. You know, we got to get past the old school model right now. You know, your ABC, NBC, CBS of the world are not going to want to, especially with the local markets and the local owned and owned, are not going to want to lose some you know, viewers to a second screen thing. But we can get past that. And you know, we've shown in the past that social media is a big driver. And if you can combine social media and a second screen appearance to a broadcast type betting experience i think that will drive more people to want to watch the product yeah totally totally agree i I guess one last question we'll touch on um with with regards to this whole kind of just the legalization piece do you ever foresee and again i know you're not an attorney but just kind of get curious to get your thoughts do you ever see it being legalized at the federal level to streamline all the application and regulation processes because right now it's like you know it's like 29 different countries right uh, essentially with all different processes that they have for not only applying to get a license, but also in terms of the management, you have things like Tennessee where they have the 10% rate rule. Um, just kind of curious if you, if you see it being even more streamlined at the federal level. It's funny, Mark, we just met today on this call and you already use one of my most popular lines that I use on interviews and podcasts is I always say this country is 50 different states when it, 50 different countries, when it comes to sports betting. And you, you absolutely just said that with the 29 that currently are, I think at some point moving forward, and it may not happen now and it may not happen next year, but at some point there probably does need an overall oversight at the federal level so it isn't as complicated as it currently is. What was done two years ago to knock down the federal ban was what was needed to open the gate towards allowing states to monetize this and allowing media companies and leagues to take a part in this. But at some point moving forward, especially with teams, being in different states, leagues being in different states, you probably, again, no time soon. I'm not saying that it's going to happen and I'm not advocating for it, but I think common sense would dictate that you can't necessarily have 40 different states having different rules and different opportunities where, like everything else, you may have a federal, and but the problem with a, a federal oversight is you got to get everybody on the same page. And you know as well as I do, nobody is on the same page right now. <laughs> So getting all of the leagues, all of the states, all of the governments and politicians on the same page, maybe about the the, the odds are are heavily stacked against that. But, you know, I've already seen legislation in there from certain senators that have said it needs to have federal oversight. The only way federal oversight will actually happen is, A, if you get everybody on the same page and B, everybody gets a piece of the pie. And if there's any way to not get people on the same page, it's not cutting up the pie the right way. But what you're looking at now, and you and I talked off air about how the NCAA doesn't have much oversight when it comes to its own comp, you know, when it comes to football and how it's not necessarily part of like what the other sports are under the NCAA championship umbrella. And the result is the Big Ten's not going to play. The Big Ten is going to play. The Big Ten's going to change the rules. The SEC's going to do this. The Big West is going to do this. The Mountain West is going to do that. That's kind of what you have with sports betting as well. And we've been critical of what the NCAA has done with football because there's no oversight. At some point, we might be that way with sports betting. But I'm just enjoying the fact that, you know, every couple of weeks, another state comes on. But I, I feel for the regulators. I know people in the industry who, who work at a Caesars or William Hill and MGM, 
And they, they got to be pulling their hair out of their head because every day it's a different state and a different rule and a different law. What about a little startup like us that doesn't have the bandwidth that Caesars does to have to go into these different states? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I've, I've talked to a lot of startups and a lot of different companies in this business that it's just like, you know, I have a, a buddy who works at, at Caesars who I talk to and he's in a different state talking to different politicians every single day and there's skins and there's this and there's that. And it's like okay. you need a whiteboard to figure it out. And not to yeah. mention that every company is buying every other company and then rebuying another company and then merging with this and overseeing that. And, you know, I, I know you guys had, had Ben Fox on a couple of weeks ago, but it's like, you yeah. know, everybody's with everybody else. You never know who's with somebody else. He told me that one day. So that was funny. Yeah. Well, and I took a picture of the paperwork that we had to put together for Tennessee. Uh, and not a knock on Tennessee. It's great that they're so thorough. I mean, but it was stacks upon stacks upon stacks. And, uh, you know, I posted it on Twitter and I'm just like, well, uh, that was two weeks of nonstop yeah. <laughs> paperwork pushing and gathering and administrative overhead. And uh, yeah, streamlining would be great. But, but what's also, I think, interesting here is as more operators get licensed in more and more states, they, you know, there may actually be kind of a, a territorial thing where they may actually not want it legalized at the federal level, because then that would make it easier for newcomers to come in and like, getting licensed in all the states with one false swoop just at the federal level, because here's all the work that went into going into each state. And, you know, there may be some protectionism there, right? Um, yeah. So it's like, I don't, know, I don't want to make it easy for another player to come in, another operator to come in here, uh, you know, type of thing. So that you may actually get lobbying against a federal type of legislation, almost even just in that way. But I, I do think, I agree with you. I think the federal government's going to want their take on it. Although they've let They've mostly let lotteries stay at the state level, um, and they really haven't touched that for the most part, too. So, yeah, I guess it'll be interesting and, to see what happens and, there. And you you bring up the lottery, and that's an interesting comparison, because if you go back 20 years, the lotteries were all different lotteries in different states, different numbers, different governing bodies. Now you have the mega mega millions and, and jackpots and, and whatever they're called, and there's like 17 states that are participating, right. in, participating in the Powerball, and there's 12 states in the mega millions. So they did at some point come together to get a little bit of an oversight where they're sharing resources. Will I ever see that in sports betting? Maybe not in your or my lifetime, but hey, at right. least we're progressing. Yeah, there should be some reciprocation at the state level, at least. I, I would agree with that. That that would be that would be ideal. So one of the things we haven't actually touched on is your background and how you got into uh, sports and sports betting in the first place. So um, so you grew up you grew up in the Miami area, is that correct? And you yeah, Miami for the Marlins. Yep, Miami Fort Lauderdale area. Grew up there, a huge Dolphins fan, and went to games at the you know at the Orange Bowl as a kid. Uh, Dolphins, and then the Marlins, Heat, and Panthers all came when I was pretty much a teenager. So obviously liked all those teams growing up. Um, and then you know post high school graduation, I was interning at WQAM in, in Miami. It actually was in Fort Lauderdale at the time. Um, and I, I told the I was just interning as a high school senior, and I told the programming director that. I wasn't going to start at the University of Florida until the fall semester. I wasn't going for the summer. Uh, didn't need to go for the summer. So he said, well, while you're sticking around, why don't you go help the play-by-play guys in, in the booth during the Marlins games? So here I was as an 18-year-old kid, freshly graduated from high school, and I was interning with the play-by-play guys in the Marlins press box. And then I went to school at Florida and, and came back every summer to work with the Marlins again. So I did that for three summers with the guys. Um, picked up a lot of experience and learned a lot from the play-by-play guys. And that was what my field was originally. And I then, when I graduated, I went into minor league baseball and did play-by-play for a while. And as everybody knows, when you're in minor league baseball, you're 
part play-by-play, part lawnmower, part marketer, part PR, and sometimes you even get to you know hang hang stuff on the fences. So um, did a whole bunch of stuff in minor league baseball and worked came back and worked for the Marlins in their PR department for a while. Eventually located back to Albuquerque, New Mexico to be a PR director for three years for the Albuquerque Isotopes, uh, which led me to meet a whole bunch of people in the industry that, uh, especially from ESPN, who came and did uh, a bunch of features on our team and our brand new stadium. And one thing led to another. And I took a research and stats job at ESPN in 2005. That is what got me in the door here in Connecticut. Um, I spent my first six years being a, a basically a studio and remote researcher working with the live programming of Sports Center, Baseball Tonight, College Game Day, um, traveling with the golf remotes to Masters, U.S. Open, British Opens. I became our, our golf researcher. Eventually decided to get into management and oversaw management in our stats department, which included the bottom line scroll that you see on your screen, as well as uh, anything that had to do with the content and the stats. And while doing that, um, I've always had a penchant for sports betting and gambling. And of course you could look at that as a positive or as a negative before it was legal. Um, <laughs> but was very well versed in the field and, and had a lot of, uh, so-called experience in that and, uh, started seeing what it could do at ESPN and media companies if and when it ever became legalized. Uh, Chad Millman of the Action Network was our editor in chief of ESPN.com at the time. And I had many, many conversations with Chad about what direction we could take sports betting at a company that is owned by Disney and did not have an appetite for sports betting, and understandably so. It was illegal in 49 states, and um, you know we're a family-oriented enterprise with Disney, and we're like, well, one day it's not going to be illegal in 49 states, so we're not going to wait until then, and started developing ways at the company of pushing that content out, and you'll always remember hearing um, Brent Musburger tongue-in-cheek it from time to time, Reese Davis would tongue-in-cheek it, You would have gambling mentions, but nobody would actually ever say what they were saying, trying to get them to overcome that and actually say, hey, you could say Tom Brady is seven and one all time playing in Miami, but you could also say he's two and four against the spread. And it's just as good of a stat as the other one. It's just a different way of looking at it and started pushing that more, having educational sessions at ESPN, all pre-PASPA overturning, uh, purchase databases from other entities within uh, the gambling empire to try to build up what we have at ESPN and eventually got NFL, NBA, college football, and college basketball databases done pre-PASPA. So when the time came where the Supreme Court overturned the rule, it was light bulb on, hey, what can we do at ESPN in sports betting? Well, it's funny you should ask that because this is what we've been doing. No one was paying attention, rightfully so. It was illegal. Now that it's legal, what can we do? Where can we go? Uh, Daily Wager was one of the first things that we pitched. Let's have a show five days a week going in to the night action before NBA and NFL and, and, and hockey and baseball games. Why don't we have a show that can help sports bettors who you know are betting and now they are legally allowed to admit to their wives and their bosses that they're doing it. So let's help them. Um, and we, we launched Daily Wager uh, March of 2019. Um, and then after that, after getting that TV, again, I've worked on the stats and TV side for 14 years at ESPN and then moved over to the digital side to oversee Chalk, the sports betting website that we have that pushes out content. Um, while doing that, I'm heavily involved on the business side of helping make our deals with Caesars, William Hill and DraftKings, getting into that business side of monetizing it and making sure we have the right rights, you know, odds provider 
the right link outs and the right partners to get this done. Um, and that is the, I don't know, two and a half minute background of nice. the last 20 something years of my life. <laughs> well, and that, no, that, that's awesome. And, and, you know, to, to kind of touch on that, I'm sure you've seen the evolution internally at a company like Disney um, as it's gone from, oh my God, no, we're not touching that with a 10 foot pole to, I mean, we've got a whole department now dedicated, you know, to this area. Um, and I, I, I can just imagine like what that, you know, metamorphosis has looked like over the last 15, 20 years. Um, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, someone like me looks at it from a consumer only perspective, but looking at it from a media perspective, I mean, I just, uh, you know, was it, was it, was it PASPA being overturned that really moved the needle? Was it the Adam Silver op-ed? Was it consumers saying, hey, why are you not providing this content? I mean, was there any kind of uh, impetus for this? I mean, or was it just literally just a, just a gradual shift over time, you know, over the years? I think a little bit of both. I think the, the Adam Silver op-ed was what allowed me to knock on doors and have those doors slightly ajar, so to speak, um, where there was a passion. There was me trying to pitch the content. There were people telling me no left and right, rightfully so. Um, and then the Adam Silver op-ed was really the first shot that was, that, that, that was sent out that it was like, okay, after that happened, I went to a couple of our executives and said, hey, we have not been allowed to show NBA logos when gambling is mentioned the one time a month that it's mentioned on SportsCenter. Can I go ahead and tell SportsCenter that we're allowed to show NBA logos now because Adam Silver said at some point it's going to be legal and the NBA okayed it. And next thing you know, we're showing you know odds to win the NBA title, which was pretty much the only gambling we did for that time period. And we were showing logos like the Lakers logo and the Heat logo and the Bucks logo. And that was the first change that came because of Adam Silver. And then little by little, I'd be like, all right, well, let's try the NHL. We talked to the NCAA. What about Major League Baseball? And you got mixed answers, mixed results. Obviously, the NFL at the time wanted nothing to do with it. Um, but that was the opening to the door of, okay, well, if I'm going to go convince my boss, am I going to go convince Chad Millman to combine and spend X amount of dollars to purchase a database that we can roll over into our content, I'm only going to be able to convince them if I have something to convince them with. And the opt-ad was one of it. It's like, all right, this is going to happen, so let's go ahead and spend some money and get ahead of it. So it was behind the scenes. It was slow rolling. Not everybody was aware of what we were doing in terms of building this up. But PASPA being overturned was definitely the big, big, big change where I can absolutely vividly remember that was March of 18, and we had a mid-April meeting with a couple of executives over a conference call, and one of the executives said, hey, guys, what can we do at ESPN when it comes to sports betting? And I got on the horn, and I said, this is what we've been doing for the last four years, unbeknownst to others. And they were blown away by the fact that we had been planning, and now it's like, that's great. Let's make sure everybody at this company knows we have this knows we have the databases, and let's start going. Get that stuff on SportsCenter. Get that stuff on other shows. Get that on digital. Let's go expand chalk. And so the, the, the PASPA being overturned was the green light for executives at ESPN and Disney to at least take a look at what we were doing and then decide whether they were going to put money towards it. And then six months later, you get the opportunity to shoot a pilot for a TV show that went all the way up to Bob Eisner to approve 
for a daily wager show that was going to launch in March of 2019. And that's kind of, you announced the deal in May of 19 with Caesars and boom, 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 the ball got rolling. And we have, you know, we have VPs on our business development side that, that deal with business opportunities at ESPN every single day. And prior to PASPA, gambling, sports betting was not on the agenda. And since then, we've done a handful of deals that have brought in millions of dollars to the company because of the overturning of PASPA. Right. And, you know, I th- that's a really good overview. And I think also one of the other things, too, that I think is is very true as well is if you look at, you know, the target demographic that any media company is trying to reach, right, it's 18 to 44-year-olds. Um, and so basically, let's just say, for the most part, millennials, a little bit bleeds into uh, Gen Xers, but, uh, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z, Gen Y, they want this. Like, you know, they do not like Big Brother telling them what they can and cannot do. And especially with their money, um, they want to control their own destiny. They want choice. Uh, they they expect it. Like we get constantly bombarded with customers in the U.S. saying, why can't I bet with your platform? Like, it's my money. It's my choice. Like, well, sorry, I wish it was that simple. And so, I mean, I, I've gotten to think some of that just public opinion and even if you want to call it public pressure from, you know, the, the next generation of, of sports fans is like, uh, duh, of course I should have this. Why can't I, you know, it's not even, it's not even, Oh man, should we, or shouldn't we do this? It's, it's more of a, like, well, obviously we should do this. You know, does that ever play into, uh, you know, how the media companies look at it as well? It does a little bit. It's now, it's now, okay, well we can bring money in for this and we can produce really good content. And let's call it what it is. At the end of the day, my company is a storytelling content company. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We pride ourselves in telling stories and producing content. That's what drives the subs on TV and ESPN.com and E plus is the content that all my colleagues and myself produced it every single day. And gambling, sports betting is just more content in a different light. Obviously it was looked at as, you know, with, 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 different lenses a couple of years ago and there is still a public perception and I, I i can have a thousand different examples but i was walking my kids and my dog a couple of months ago and stopped to talk to a neighbor and the neighbor asked me what i did at espn and i told him and the look he gave me was just like oh do you bet and i'm like okay well first of all <laughs> like I, I, i'm not selling crack on the on the side of the street here like i work and i produce content for a major media company in the sports betting area but people still look down on wow sports betting but you know you're probably going to go buy lottery tickets so there's no difference to me um but i think it's just been universally more accepted overall you're not going to get everybody like there's still plenty of people out there whose wives don't understand why we all sit there for hours on end and watch people tackle each other to try to score and and, and cross a white line in the end zone they're not going to understand why we're actually saying well we need them to win by more than seven so it's not right. always going to be accepted, but at the same time, to me, it's another avenue that we can push content out and, and, and produce, you know, revenue streams for the company. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, you know, the reality is, is that there's, there's going to be people who frown upon alcohol. There's going to be people who frown upon, you know, Vegas casinos. There's going to be people who frown upon, you know, of course, now cannabis is being legalized in a lot of states. Um, you know, you just, you can't please everybody. And then you, yeah, I mean, as you touched on, you, you, you can even get people that are just like, well, why are you even watching football? Football's bad, you know, type right. of thing. And, and look, at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I mean, is a little bit is a little bit off topic, but it really is about freedoms, right? And the ability to do what you want as long as you're not harming others. And so, um, you know, I think sports betting really fits into that American 
mantra. I mean, uh, more so than a lot of other things do. Um, and so for sure, I mean, this is just, uh, I mean, the writing's on the wall that it's going to be, you know, huge. And I think it's just going to continue to take off and, you know, as, uh, as it gets passed on from generation to generation, just even more so. So I did uh, think, I I did think it was amusing that the neighbor who looked down on me for betting or working in sports betting had no problem discussing who he was starting at quarterback in his fantasy team that week. But, you know, (laughs) and I wanted to say, (laughs) do you have money on the line with this lineup you have? And it's like, okay, it's the same thing, but alas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the thing is, like, I just feel like one thing I would love to see in general, like us as a society get better at, and I, I do think we're not as good in this country as other countries are, is is just kind of a lack of empathy sometimes, um, or a lack of understanding as to what somebody else might be doing, and just the kind of instant visceral reaction towards, oh, I would never do that, so why would you? Um, you know, I just, I don't, I, I I don't know. I'm very libertarian. I mean, it's because a little bit of subject into politics and stuff. But, you know, I, I really do believe that people, as long as they're not harming others, should be able to, you know, mostly do what they want. And so without judgment, you know, too. So, I mean, uh, you know, clearly, you know, with all the things that like, you know, my company touches on, you know, with sports betting and cryptocurrencies and, and stuff, you know, I, I do believe that we evolve better as a society when, you know, we're allowed to be free thinkers, when we're allowed to, you know, um, you know, take on things like this. Um, and be creative in how we are entertained or how we're engaged, you know? I mean, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's hopefully, hopefully as time goes on, you know, we just obviously grow as a, as a society, grow as a species and, uh, you know, we continue to gain that empathy and the more these kinds of things are brought to the forefront and not underground, I do think the more that we will start to look at, you know, these activities as, as, um, as normal. You did just answer a 17 year question I had as to why my wife accepts everything I do and all my intricacies because she's a libertarian as well. So now that makes sense. <laughs> um, but I, I always try to tell people like, and people know have known me for a long time and I'm a straight shooter and you know, I, 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 I I don't have skeletons in the closet, so not everybody who does betting is, is evil and bad and involved with the mob. Like, you know, right. I, I, you know, people somewhat are surprised when they find out what I do because they know me to be an up and up. And and you know, if I were to run for office tomorrow, there isn't anything hidden there other than the fact that I right. do live live in a state that obviously doesn't have legalized wagering. But but yeah, it's something that I think over time, um, you know, I, I you know, you have every you, everybody has friends who maybe dip into the wine too much or have too much to drink one night or drive too fast. Like all those things are also frowned upon, but they do, they're accepted. They're accepted that, Hey, you know, you can go 10 miles over the speed limit. That's accepted. You can have three or four drinks at night. So why can't you bet on sporting events? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I just think it's a, as you mentioned earlier in the pod, I mean, it was really just a time thing. Like we'll get there. You know, it just, it just takes time, takes time to do so. Um, so, I mean, David, this was, uh, just an amazing conversation really enjoyed having you on, uh, definitely would love to have you on as a guest again at some point in the future. Uh, so, uh, so thanks for taking time uh, out of your day today and, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. would love to be back on and, uh, keep up the good work. Thanks David. And to all of our listeners out there, uh, we hope you have a wonderful week and a great December coming into the holidays. Take care everyone. 